This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, and we are going to talk some NCAA tournament. Also going to talk about the return of Kumar Rocker making his first appearance in about a year for the Tri-City Valley Cats. Touch a little bit on the upcoming draft combine. Jonathan had a chance to talk to Orioles prospect Gunnar Henderson shortly before he was promoted to AAA. We're going to look back at the Pipeline Game of the Month broadcast where Jonathan talked to Gunnar Henderson and joined the broadcast there at the Bowie Altoona game. And we're going to wrap up by answering a question from the mailbag. Jim, Jonathan, welcome. And uh, how did you enjoy your opening regional round of the NCAA tournament? I enjoyed it a lot. I mean, as, as you guys know, and I think a lot of our listeners know, my, my first big beat at Baseball America when I, I started in the prospect game many decades ago was, was college baseball. So I've always been a big fan of college baseball, and it, it's still, it's been on for a few years now, but just watching Squeeze Play on ESPN where they take you from regional to regional, back and forth, yeah, I'm thinking to the days where we would literally wait for a box score to come in on the fax machine at Baseball America to see how teams were doing. It was just stupendous. And I, I don't know why my I feel like my day, my evening are going to be a lot uh, less hectic without trying to monitor like four or five games at once while also keeping half an eye on the hockey playoffs as well. Um, but uh, you still have your fax machine there behind you in your office in case you need a, a backup uh, source of box scores. The, the only person who faxes me is my father-in-law. He faxes my wife. And um, I don't think he's going to fax me some uh, some college baseball box scores. But uh, it's it's turned off right now anyway, so there'll be no faxing. But um, <laughs> but no, it just gets great watching uh, all the drama, a lot of, a lot of tense action, and, and being able to watch multiple games at once is, is pretty fun. Yeah, I think we we touched on this last week, uh, you know, just a bit about how fun it is. Yeah, I mean, we're tracking the the, the top guys and, and the draft prospects and, and things like that, but invariably every year there are numerous unsung heroes, uh, you know, underclassmen who don't play or you know, guys who haven't have had bad years, whatever it is, who come up, you know, in huge situations and. Uh, I mean, there were a lot of runs scored, a lot of offense, uh, some crazy comebacks, and uh, it is it is a, a lot uh, of fun. Uh, and every year, I like I keep hoping that like more and more baseball fans will will tune in because it uh, the whole college postseason this time of year is very very exciting. Yeah, and it was it was definitely an exciting weekend. Um, I know that there was the one day where five teams scored. 20 or more runs, which uh, I believe I heard had has never happened before. Jim, you had kind of a painful exit from the tournament, your team. Not really, because I, my, my, really? the Georgia Bulldogs, 
did what I what I thought they were going to do. I was I was talking to a agent of one of the players involved in that regional, and Jonathan Cannon, who who's the best prospect for the Bulldogs, has not pitched as well down the stretch. And I thought VCU would bang him around, and they did. Georgia crushed Hofstra, and I just didn't think they had the pitching depth. I mean, they did get have Vance Honeycutt, the UNC center fielder, rob them of a game tying home run in the ninth inning. Right, that's what I was referring to of the elimination game. But I was realistic. As much as I, I I love my Georgia Bulldogs, even if they had won that game, they would have had to win two more games, and I just didn't think they had the pitching depth. So I, I thought they were going one and two in that regional. Um, so it. it I, I was not uh, not especially pained when it happened. That was a fantastic catch, the game saving catch there. Yeah, I mean, it, it's if you watch, I mean, anybody who watched any of it, I mean, just the way the balls fly at at these ballparks around the country, it's amazing, and that's why you know when you get to Omaha, where the ball most definitely does not fly, it, it, it's it's interesting because a lot of teams have trouble adapting. You, you can build a team that wins by you know crushing balls out of the park. It's very hard to win that way once you get to Omaha. What, what was the uh, Oklahoma State? So Oklahoma State, Missouri State, that was the wild? <laughs> well, well, that was crazy. Oklahoma State blew a lead, I guess, to Arkansas the night before. Gave up something like, I don't know, 15 runs in the final three innings to blow a lead to go into the loser's bracket game. And I think Missouri State, which is one of my favorite programs, was up, what was it 12 nothing? 12, yeah, 12 And lost 29 to 15 or something? It was It was insane. 11 of the 16 seeded teams advanced to the Super Regionals. Let's, let's uh, before we look ahead to the Super Regionals, let's talk a little bit about some prospects, some draft prospects who uh, looked good and have helped themselves in the Regionals. Jonathan, who do you want to talk about here? Yeah, I mean, you know, Virginia Tech is, is hit all year. And, you know, as Jim just mentioned, the offense was kind of insane during the Regionals. And, and that included their uh their march to the super regional so i mean I, I don't know how much gavin cross helped himself but he is the top draft prospect you know on that team uh and went eight for his first 11 against wright state in columbia with uh, i think seven runs batted in eight runs batted in and you know this is a this is a guy who has put up good numbers throughout his career. It's the reason why you know he's mentioned you know often in the top ten, uh, he hit a couple of homers, a bunch of extra base hits. But he wasn't the only guy who you know who put up some numbers. Cade Hunter, who you know kind of jumped on our radar screens at what was it, Jim? When we expanded to one fifty, maybe. Yeah. Um, he is the son of Mariner scouting director Scott Hunter. And was a catcher slash first baseman who hadn't caught a lot, but was showing off a ton of power. Would look good in models, uh, you know, good exit velocity, launching all that kind of stuff. And then he slowed down, and then he homered. He homered a couple times. He had some extra base hits. Tanner Schobel's another guy who had you know had a good weekend. So all the guys who have hit hit again, and it'll be interesting to see if they can continue uh, to to do that. So you know, Gavin Cross probably held serve more than anything else, and maybe some of these other guys who are a little bit, you know, uh, fourth, you know, fourth round types or even beyond that, a guy like Nick Bittison, who's like kind of fascinating, but was thought of as a late day two pick, you know, maybe he's moving up some. So it's really that Hokies lineup overall led by Gavin Cross really stood out. Jim, how about your neck of the draft? Yeah, I had two SEC guys who jumped out. You know, one we talked about a lot on last week's podcast, and that was Blade Tidwell 
of Tennessee, who you know, missed the first six weeks of the season with shoulder soreness, had yet to go five innings in a game. Um, you know, it showed pretty good stuff. You know, before he got hurt, was a candidate to be the first college pitcher drafted, and still could be the first college pitcher drafted if he finished strong. And and I think he's going to be a guy to monitor throughout because unlike you know, as Jonathan pointed out, you know, Gavin Cross has raked all year. You know, Gavin Cross can go pretty good. We know that. Whereas I think Blade Tidwell's stock is fairly volatile. You know, going up, you know, through the super regionals, he might pitch two or three times in Omaha, depending on how that plays out. And I, I think there are he he might be as closely monitored as just about any pitcher who who's still alive in the NCAA tournament. And he faced Alabama State in the first uh, first day of the super regional for Tennessee. Now, you know, Alabama State is you know automatic qualifier. It's not the the level of SEC competition he's used to. But the good news was that he, he pitched seven and two thirds, shutout innings, seven strikeouts, three hits, no walks, threw 95 pitches, um, averaged 95.6 miles an hour with the fastball, 83 miles an hour with the sliders, two primary pitches. Although it was interesting, he only got one swing and miss with his fastball the whole game against Alabama State, even though it was working pretty well for him. But I, but I think if your team that's trying to buy into, hey, you know, I, I believe in Blade Tidwell. You know, maybe we're going to take him in the teens somewhere. Seeing him go seven and a two thirds innings, uh, you know, again, not against an SEC team, but, you know, to throw 95 pitches, throw 64 strikes, and the stuff held up throughout. And he was, he was still throwing pretty hard late in the game. I think that was a, a, a super positive sign. And then the, the, the other guy who I think helped himself, although, it's tough because the balls were just flying, you know, out of a lot of these regional parks. And we talked about that, that Oklahoma state regional, but, but Caden Wallace at, at Arkansas, who I felt like going back to when he was in high school, I liked him a little bit more than the industry. I, I've always felt, you know, that 20 to 45 range this year is, is really unsettled. And there's a lot of college position players who could factor in and you didn't hear his name as much. And again, I mean, you have to take into account that that balls were rocketing out of Stillwater the entire weekend. But Caden Wallace went six for 17. He hit four homers. He made a really nice play yesterday, do or die play, run with a score for Oklahoma State, two outs where he came in on a slow roller and, and it made an unbelievable throw. Like the highlights on Twitter, it's it, it's about top of the line for guys charging in on slow bouncers. Like I didn't think he had any chance to get the guy out. You know, the, the, this, you know, the C.J. Abrams play that we saw on Twitter in, in pro ball, different type of play, but kind of that same thing when you're watching the play and you're like, this guy has no chance to get the runner at first, and he threw him out. So Kane Wallace looked good defensively at third base too. And I, I think he's a, a sneaky potential late first-round pick um, for, for somebody because you know, we have a million outfielders we discussed, but Kane Wallace, I mean, he can play right field too, but Kane Wallace can play third base. He's kind of uh, deceptively athletic. You know, he, he runs better than you think. He's a pretty solid runner and then there's power in that bat. And, and so I think maybe he helped himself and, and we'll get the opportunity to do so again uh, in, in the super regionals against North Carolina. They'll be going to Chapel Hill <laughs> where the ball was also flying this weekend and probably will continue to fly next weekend. Yeah, speaking of the Super Regionals, those begin on Friday. Four Super Regionals there. Notre Dame at Tennessee, Texas at East Carolina, number nine at number eight. Number 12, Louisville at number five, Texas A&M. Oklahoma unseated at number four, Virginia Tech. And then on Saturday, second batch of Super Regionals, unseated UConn at number two, Stanford. Arkansas 
unseeded at number 10, North Carolina, unseeded Ole Miss at number 11, Southern Mississippi, and number 14, Auburn at number three, Oregon State. So looking ahead at those pairings, guys, uh, who's a draft prospect to watch from each of you? And I was going to say real quickly, I think there are eight potential first rounders in the Super Regionals, by the way. I, I come up with eight. There we go. And uh, one of the guys you want to highlight, are we going to talk about potential first rounders here? Or you want to, Jonathan, who do you have? Yeah, I'm going to head to the Oregon State Auburn uh, Super Regional. Uh, I feel like we've talked a bunch about Jacob Melton. So I'm actually going to look at uh, Cooper Jerpy, uh, who has been one of the most consistent college pitchers, uh, and not just because he's healthy, he's left handed. Uh, we, we've had him steadily in, in our first round mocks, you know, as high as, you know, the sort of middle of the first round. He has been very, very good this year. He's, uh, you know, st- struck out over 14 per nine. He's only walked 21 in 97 and two thirds innings. So he, he's been very, very good. You know, maybe not as sharp of late. You know, he had sort of interesting regional. He started against New Mexico State. And he was good. I mean, he struck out 10 and six and two thirds. So I don't want to undersell, but you know, he did give up three runs. So he only, only gave up two hits. And then he came back on Monday and pitched two innings of hitless ball to pick up the save against Vanderbilt to send them into the super regional. So he, he's a guy I want to see. I mean, I think a lot of these starter starting pitchers, the ones who are been healthy all year are, are now pretty far past any amount of innings they've thrown, you know, in their career. You know, like I said, he uh, he's up to 97 two thirds innings now. He, he topped he he got to 77 innings a year ago. Uh, so to see these guys and how they can kind of reach back and see what they have left in the tank during the sort of high pressure of postseason play, uh, I think you know it's going to be interesting to see because obviously he's going to be relied on to to make a statement to you know in that in that in the opening game of the super regional. And, and Jerpy now leads the nation in strikeouts, Jonathan. Just gonna, I was going to throw that in. He struck out 5 out of 6 when 5 out of 6 outs he got yesterday. I think he gave up a walk against Vanderbilt. We're, we're via the strikeout, but he now leads the nation with 155 strikeouts in those 97 and 2 thirds innings. All right, Jim, who you got? I, I'm going to go with Brock Jones of Stanford. Um, I, I wish I could have stayed awake to watch that game last night where they rallied with three runs in the bottom of the ninth to break Texas State's heart after the, the, the very game Bobcats had had battled 1-1, one game the whole way, used their ace relievers as starter, and then scored two in the ninth and, and were that close to advancing. But, you know, we, we've talked about Brock Jones. You know, he's coming off a regional in which he went, you know, six for 17, uh, you know, three doubles. And, you know, coming into the year, you know, I think Brock Jones, if, we, if we'd had the draft before the season began, Brock Jones would have been a top 10 pick. And then he got off to just a horrendous start before rallying. And and basically his numbers this year are very similar, almost identical to what they were last year, but he just did it like in a very odd fashion. I think if he'd had a steady year the whole way, we'd still be talking about him as a, you know, top, you know, eight to 15 pick, you know, up there with, with Gavin Cross and Jace Young and Jacob Berry and, Daniel Suzak and those guys, but because he teams cool on him so much for a while and now he's heated up, he hasn't, uh, Jonathan, does it feel like you guy? I don't feel like he's quite getting discussed that high yet. Is that fair? No, I think, I think that's fair. Uh, you know, because, you know, he started so slowly and like there were swing and miss concerns. I think what happens, you know, there were swing and miss concerns, even when people like really liked him and sort of were, 
thinking of, of him in that top half of the first round. And then he went out and kind of answered the questions in a, in a negative way. Well, well, look, you know, we're, we're concerned about the swing and miss and his strikeout rate was very alarming uh, over the, the first fairly substantial length uh, of the season before he got going. So I think that's kind of what, what's kept uh, people's reactions, you know, a little bit tepid. Yeah, it's just fine. Like I said, I mean, I think rather than 8 to 15, he's more kind of in that 15 to 35 range. But, you know, he's going to get an opportunity to play, you know, UConn at home, you know, at Stanford. And and I do think if you look at these these eight super regional matchups, I think Stanford would probably be the biggest favorite of any of the teams to advance to Omaha, even over Tennessee, which I think is clearly the best team in the country, has a chance to stamp themselves as one of the best teams of all time. But they're playing a very good Notre Dame team that a lot of people thought should have been a regional host and then went out and took care of business. And, you know, they made a lot of, if you watch Squeeze play on ESPN over the weekend, they made a lot of the fact that Notre Dame last year had a very, very good team and they wanted to have them go to Mississippi State for the Super Regional. And Mississippi State won on and won the national championship. And this year, Notre Dame again has a very College World Series worthy team. And, they might get eliminated by the eventual national champion in the Super Regionals again. But, I, but that Tennessee-Notre Dame series should be really good. I, I do think we will see Brock Jones in Omaha with Stanford. So he's got another couple weeks to try to, to continue to move up draft boards. All right. And speaking of Omaha, we are going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to discuss someone who knows a little something about the College World Series. That's Kumar Rocker, who made his return to the mound over the past week. We'll talk about that touch on the upcoming draft combine and more after this on the MLB pipeline podcast. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon. When a thought hits you, I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Kumar Rocker, one of the most famous names, if not the most famous name in this year's draft class, was, of course, in last year's draft class uh, out of Vanderbilt, was taken 10th overall by the Mets. The Mets had some injury concerns, did not make him an offer, so he's back in this year's draft class, and he made his return to the mound after nearly a year in the Frontier League with the Tri-City Valley Cats. Jim, I know you were tuned in uh, to what he did over the weekend. Is it safe to say that it was pretty impressive? Yeah, it, it was pretty impressive. And just to clarify, 
because we don't want the Mets to give up the number 11 pick in the draft, Jason. They made an offer to Kumar. They offered him $0 last last year after the post-draft fiscal. They, they had to make him an offer. And so they offered, they after initially agreeing to $6 million, they literally offered him $0 for based on what they saw in the fiscal, which nobody has really confirmed what that is. But yeah, he a lot of questions. I, I know a lot of people were wondering, you know, Scott Boris has been very quiet on Kumar Rocker. You know, the thinking was if, if Kumar was looking good while he was doing whatever he was doing, you know, working out the Boris Corp facilities, uh, why aren't we hearing about it? Why aren't we, you know, getting any inkling of what's going on? And so people were very curious as to what you were going to see when he actually got on the mound on Saturday. He pitched four innings. The velocity was there. Uh, fastball sat 95, 97 miles an hour. He touched 99. You know, his slider, which is his, his wipeout pitch, sat in the mid-80s. It got up to 89 miles an hour. So the velocity was very good. You know, it did fluctuate at times at Vanderbilt last year. There were times where he pitched kind of in the low 90s with a less powerful slider. Um, had four strikeouts in six innings, 43 of 60 pitches for strikes. Kind of <laughs> looked like Kumar Rocker, uh, you know, of, of, you know that you saw at Vanderbilt. You know, he did give up two runs on three hits, um, tired in the fourth inning. Didn't walk anybody, but he hit a guy in the fourth inning, and then he hung a slider that got knocked out of the park for a two-run homer. Um, yeah, it, it, it's funny. And, and look, I'm not, uh, not not expecting Twitter to react rationally to anything um, because Twitter does not. But all of a sudden on Twitter, it's like, oh, Kumar Rocker, top 10 picks. Kumar Rocker, could he go at the top of the draft? And while this was a very promising outing, you know, I, I think it's fair to say, Jonathan, nobody's taken him 10th overall just based on this one outing. There's two things that still have to happen from here to figure out where you're taking him in the draft. One, he's probably going to pitch another four or five times before the draft. And people are going to want to see how the stuff holds up. Can he, you know, is he going to keep showing this stuff or could it be like last year where the stuff fluctuates? some? And two, the biggest question, you know, even if he comes out and throws like this six times in a row, it's going to be very hard to pinpoint exactly where you take him in the draft until you get a hold of his medical records and figure out, you know, what did the Mets see? What do we see? What's his health? Because the, the, the on-field performance is one aspect, but something spooked the Mets to make them, you know, they were, they were thrilled to have this guy for $6 million with the number 10 pick, and they literally offered him $0 because they were afraid he would accept a reduced offer that might have been more fair. What happened? Because I, I can't imagine the Mets just conjured this out of thin air because they did, they decide they didn't want to sign Kumar Rocker, so there, there, there's still a lot to figure out. Sure, I mean, and for now, all we all we can do is go off of what he did, you know, this outing, and see what he does from 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 there. I mean, we're not we're not privy to that medical information or how it's being shared or if it's being shared. It obviously is going to have to be shared because even if he went out and didn't give up a single hit or whatever, you know, he was perfect through every outing in the Frontier League. That's not going to be enough this wasn't just a, a contract thing this was because of the because of those injury concerns so people are going to have to have something close to to answers to those questions before they feel comfortable and i think that's what makes it hard to sort of pinpoint well where because we get that all the time either people screaming that he you know well, look at him he should be you know top half of the first round or even just asking where do we think he's going to go that's almost impossible to answer uh, based on the very large question marks with how things went down last year with the Mets. No one's accusing the Mets of conjuring something out of thin air, but Jim, as you and I both know, different teams, medical staffs, 
you know, interpret information differently. And so it's going to come down to seeing updated medical information, hopefully as thorough as possible and, and teams, you know, medical staffs, and then, you know, ultimately general manager being an ownership, being comfortable enough with what they've seen and, and how it's interpreted to, to decide to take them, uh, which is why, like, could he work his way into the first round? Sure, especially with all the other injured pitchers. I mean, stuff-wise, he belongs. That's why he was, you know, at or close to the top of, of most draft boards last year. Uh, but uh, could he go in the comp round or second round? You know, sure. Could he go further than that if people are really troubled by the medical? I suppose that's possible. We just don't know. There's way too much unknown. It was, it was after all this time, you know, all fall, winter, and the beginning of the spring, kind of trying to conjecture about like what was going to happen. At least we have something to point to that he did on a mound as sort of a step in the right direction. Yeah, and I, I agree with all that too. I mean, I think his signability could play a factor as well. Like you don't know what his asking price might be. I, I don't think he's going to get $6 million, but I don't know that he's going to just look to sign for whatever, you know, like a million dollars either. So, I mean, that, that's right, good. Right, but he's kind of out of leverage in that regard. True. But like, I mean, but again, who knows? I mean, who knows? Like, I mean, that might be a fact. The way the bonus pools work, if you aren't comfortable, he's going to sign for a number that fits into how you're trying to move your money around. That could be a fact. I, I just, like I said before, and I've, I've said many times, I hope it works out for him because he didn't do anything wrong. Um, you know, this was news to him, you know, whatever happened. And again, I mean, the Mets saw something, you know, they, they wanted to sign them. The Mets were thrilled to get this guy at 10. They were willing to pay him $6 million. They, they wanted Kumar Rocker and they saw something that scared them off, which, you know, obviously caught Rocker by surprise. And I mean, look, all this guy did for, for three years, you know, two full seasons at Vanderbilt was, you know, be the, the primary reason that they won the national title as a freshman and helped pitch them to the final game in last year's college world series and is one of the best big game postseason pitchers in NCAA history. And unfortunately the way the rules work that are set up with physicals, there, there's no recourse. You know, when, when you fail physical, which is at, you know, determined totally by the team's doctor, there's, it's not like there's a medical board or a panel or you get a second opinion, you know, there's nothing really can be done for you at that point. So Kumar, deserves a better fate than what happened to him last year. And, you know, it, it's funny. I had somebody ask me, oh, are you guys going to move him up from number 39 on your top 200? Again, I mean, we're not updating it. We're, we're going to expand to a top 250 at some point, but not, you know, imminently. It'll be sometime after the combine. But if we were updating it today, Jonathan, I, I, I don't know. Like, again, my question would be, what does the medical look like? I mean, that's, you know, maybe we move up a couple spots, but I don't think, I mean, I certainly wouldn't say, okay, uh, we got to put him at number 15 on the list or something right now. No, I wouldn't. It's one outing. I mean, what if he had gone out and given up seven runs, right? Like, do you move him down? Like, no. No, I agree. And like I said, I mean, who knows? I mean, what if the next time he goes out and he throws 92-94 and the slider's in the low 80s and he gives up six runs in four innings or something? I mean, it's it, it's going to be interesting. I mean, we, we will probably continue to be bombarded on Twitter from now until the draft. Like, like the two questions we're going to get more than anything are, where's Kumar going in the draft? And why won't the Pirates call up O'Neill Cruz? Like, <laughs> like that. Those will be our, our leading questions for the next six weeks or so. Is Kumar as difficult to rank as anyone that you can remember because of the unknown regarding his his health? Hundred percent. Yes. Yep. Because it'd be one thing if it'd be one thing if a he had Tommy John surgery and we'd be like, oh, guys, come back from Tommy John surgery. <laughs> We've got a million guys on this list who've had Tommy John surgery. Or even if you knew on our a, top one million. Yes. 
What's that? We're expanding to a top one million. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, well, come on, we got to give the give the fans what they want. And then I was gonna say, you know, like even if it was like a shoulder, and you're like, oh, he's got rotator cuff tear, then we'd be like, oh, geez, that's serious. We know what to do. But we literally don't know. Like, like we've talked about the most concrete thing I've I've heard is that it was something both shoulder and elbow. But like, what does that mean? So like, until and it's the same thing with teams. Like, like I will give the Mets credit. The Mets have kept whatever they saw to themselves. I have, I've yet to talk to team, and I'm sure you have too, Jonathan. I've talked to a whole bunch of teams, and they ask me as much as I ask them, like, you know exactly what's going on with Kumar, and nobody knows. Um, and so it's, it's really impossible to know where to put him. And, and, and Jonathan, we both heard from people who said, I, I've had people in baseball who said, you should just rank him based on where he went, you know, where you had him last year until you know otherwise. And I just don't buy that because there is some kind of unknown physical question hanging over him. Right. Again, again, to differentiate, it's not like, you know, let's say Luke Hochaver who went and pitched an indie ball, but wasn't hurt. You know, like I think you can make more of an argument, like put him where you had him until you know, there's data. Otherwise your information because the, the, that, that unknown quantity again, like it's just, you know, it, it makes it much, much trickier. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you a question. I don't even know what my answer would be, but I will, I will think of mine too. Let's say that was the situation. And we had no medical question hanging over Kumar Rocker. He was just Kumar Rocker last year. Couldn't work out a deal with the Mets. No physical questions. Would he be the top pitcher on our list this year? I think he would be. Yes. Especially with all the other injuries. Yes, I think he would be. You said you didn't have an answer. I, well, I thought it through as I was, I was asking the question. As he was asking it. <laughs> I, it came to me. All right. So keep an eye out. Uh, we'll be... You know, covering Kumar's starts as we go forward. As Jim said, he's expected to throw five or six times before the draft. One down, uh, hopefully a handful more to go. And we will be uh, keeping an eye on that, reporting on that on MLB.com slash pipeline. Keep an eye out there. Uh, Something else big on the horizon next week is the MLB draft combine. Last year was the inaugural combine. This year, it looks like we're going to see a lot more of the top prospects there. It, I think, remains to be seen how many of them uh, will be participating in the on-field activities. But, uh, Jim, you were there last year. You'll be there again this year, although in a different location in San Diego this year. Tell us a little bit about what to expect from the Draft Combine. Yeah, I, I think that the program is going to be you know, similar to what we had last year. You're going to have a bunch of things going on. You're going to have... Yeah, we'll have a... I believe it's a five-hour broadcast again. Or we're having a big broadcast on the Friday, which will replicate like a workout setting. And you'll see guys taking BP and infield, outfield, and doing some sprints and, and pitchers throwing bullpens. And there'll be a bunch of interviews with with players and and you know various officials who are there. So I, th- I think that'll look very similar. We'll have two days of high school players playing in games. Again, we don't have. I think we'll have a combine list of attendees later this week. It's on. It's not clear quite yet who's attending and performing in on the field and versus who's attending and and maybe doing some of the other stuff. But anyway, you're you're gonna have high school games, which were kind of fun to watch last year, and a couple guys really helped themselves last year. You'll have teams. I, I think one of the biggest benefits they got last year was being able to sit down face to face and and do interviews with a lot of players, and, and you're gonna have a lot of that again. There'll be the opportunity, if you're invited to the combine, you can do a physical. And if you do a physical, 
you're guaranteed to receive at least 75% of your slot based on where you're drafted. There'd be some medical testing. I'm probably leaving something out, but like there there will be a lot going on during the time in San Diego. And I believe also, I I haven't seen the exact schedule for what we're doing on the air, but I know there's going to be, I think, a lot more TV presence. There'll be more, it won't be a five-hour broadcast, but I believe on the Thursday before the big workout on Friday, you're going to have a lot of airtime on MLB Network being spent on the Combine as well. Jim, will you be participating in the on-field workouts? If it's like last year, no. I will probably be in a tent uh, on the concourse. Uh, last year, I was I was with Dan O'Dowd and with um, Sarah Langs, which was great. We spent a lot of time talking when we weren't on the air. But uh, uh, no, I do not think you will see me pulling a Rich Eisen and running around the bases with Harold Reynolds or taking BP or anything. That's next year, the pipeline combine. Not going to see you uh, lay down a, a 60-yard dash in the... You see me pull a hamstring or blow out my arm, throw in a bullpen, um, get, get my massive spin rate and uh, <laughs> induced vertical break on my fastball. Um, no, you will not who, who see would, me. Who would win a 60-yard dash between the two of you? Oh, I think Jonathan would. Oh, no way. Really? <laughs> I, don't think I, I don't think I could run 60 yards right now. Yeah, well, you are a little banged up. I, I've got I'm on the injured. I'm on the injured list. I've got a bad back. I'm I'm not a sprinter, so that's uh, that. that we we can start the 60 yard dash now, and we'll finish it by next week's podcast. We, uh, right, we, would, we would walk it, maybe. I was hoping we could put twenty five thousand dollars on this, but it sounds like uh, you're both angling. No, I I, I think if it's the three, we might we, bet on each other. Yes, yeah, and then <laughs> we, then we'd be a reverse 60 yard dash. We're trying to run as slow <laughs> as possible so the other guy wins. All right. We are going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to let you listen to an interview that Jonathan did with Orioles shortstop prospect Gunnar Henderson when Jonathan was in Altoona for a Bowie Altoona game a few days ago. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm here in Altoona, and luck would have it, the Bowie Bay Sox are here and get a chance to, to meet and talk with Gunnar Henderson, top 100 prospect. Gunnar, thanks for taking some time. Yes, sir, thank you for having me. I wanted to just start, you know, you ended your year with AA, and obviously, uh, you know, scuffled a little bit, which happens a lot with that jump to AA, but what did you learn from that time with Bowie that has helped you the most hit the ground running this year? Yeah, I mean, it was just getting the experience because at that time I just turned 20 pretty much and then uh, just getting used to the experience and I felt like the alt site really helped me in that sense because I got to face those uh, caliber pitchers and then being able to um, face them each and every day and then going up to double A and then just really working on the routine and stuff. I felt like that really helped me out. One of the the biggest things, even just looking at the numbers, is approach-wise, clearly you're seeing more pitches, you're drawing more walks. 
How, how again, in general, so how, how do you work on that? Because obviously game reps is what helps the most. But, you know, what do you try to do to just to have the mentality like, all right, I need to do that so I can get into better hitters counts and, and not get myself out? Yeah, yeah we, uh, we've been working on with our hitting coaches through spring training and even last year. And uh, partially into the outside, we stick a uh, med ball, just like a weight med ball behind home plate, and that kind of covers the center of the strike zone, kind of leaves off the edges, and that's where the pitchers like to lift. So if you can lay off those ones that are really close and um, that are balls, then uh, you'll get yourself in more favorable counts, and I feel like I've uh, really done that well, and uh, hopefully keep continue doing that. Is it, is it more of a sort of a gradual, like I'm learning as I go, or did you have an aha moment where you're like, oh, wait, this, this is actually working for me? Uh, yeah, I mean, just being able to hone into it because we do mixed BP each and every day. Or, um, and then being able to do that and then hone in on the strike zone even in practice, I felt like that really helps me going into the game because you basically get game-like reps in the cage and then go out to the game and just have fun, uh, kind of mess with it. So. I mean, the other thing is sort of it helps you get to that to that raw power that people have been talking you had since since high school. Um, they all say that's the last thing to come. Is that something you're seeing the results of? Like, oh, because I'm getting better pitches now, I'm and now I understand more which pitches I should try to get out front and, and drive more. Yes, yeah, sir. Getting uh, in more favorable counts and being able to get those pitches that I can drive and just uh, I knew the power would come along because I grew pretty fast from my high school and now I'm finally being able to start to fill out my body. So. I feel like that's really helped a lot is just being able to fill my body and have like set set ground. So. What's been the biggest thing just overall about double A? You know, they, they say that's the hardest the jump. You see guys get called up to the big leagues from double A. But what's what's been the thing that you're like, all right, I need to keep doing this. Uh, and I'm realizing now that I'm here in double A, I got to keep doing that if I want to keep moving up. Yeah, it's like you said, just continue to hone in on the strike zone because pitchers are very good, as you can see, and every day they come out throwing high 90s. And uh, you just got to really be able to get into hitters' counts and not uh, swing at their pitches, but try to get the one that you can do damage with. Don't want to just talk about hitting, although I could. Uh, but I want to talk a little bit about defensively because, you know, you're drafted as a shortstop. You still play there. You've moved a little bit. Is that a, Was that a hard thing to – because I'm sure you're like, I'm a shortstop. You know, is there an ego thing that you have to put in check to be like, all right, you know, wherever you play me is good? Or do you like moving around the diamond? Yeah, I mean, I like moving around because versatility, it helps you out in every way because uh, third base helps me out at short, just uh, working with one hand. And I'll get some hops uh, short that will require one hand and then uh, – some plays at short will help me at third base. So I feel like it really helps me either way, and whichever way I can help the team win is the win I'll go with. So. Do you like proving the people who say he's going to be too big to play shorts up wrong that you're still athletic enough to play yeah, there? of course, because uh, it, it makes you feel good inside that people think you can't do it, and you got there and do it. So, of course, I'll be able to I'll have that in the back of my mind. But uh, like I said, whichever way gets me to the big leagues, I'll play it wholeheartedly. You're not the only sort of bigger guy who plays some shortstop. What's it been like to have Jordan Westbrook here with you? Uh, anytime I talk to guys in player development, they say it's sort of cool because you guys are obviously not exactly the same player, but a little bit cut from the same cloth. Yeah, I mean, just being able to have him and uh, even Joey Ortiz over here, just being able to have them and uh, see what they had the college experience and see how they go about their day and being able to uh, pick apart their brains and see what clicks for them. And uh, I give whatever information that I might have. So. Um, yeah, just being able to go to work with them each and every day and uh, out here each and every day is really awesome to see, and I feel like it's making me a better player, and uh, hopefully I make them a better player as well. Now, I've also, like, people will tell me, you're athletic enough. You could go run around and play center field. Like, you, you sort of 
dabbled with that a little bit, but not really in, in, in games. Would, would you like the chance to roam around out there? In uh, Instructs of 2020, I got to play it a little bit in the, uh, the few games that we got over there. So I enjoy playing it out there. But uh, like I said, if, uh, if it gets me to the big leagues, I, I'll play it. But uh, yeah, it'd be new territory for me, but I feel like I could uh, go out there and do it. Who are like, some of your influences in terms of, I mean, it, I feel like these days being a big shortstop is not, it doesn't disqualify you. There are plenty of guys in the big leagues. Obviously, the Orioles are known for one of the greatest bigger shortstops ever. Um, you know, or the guys that you watch are like, all right, well, if that guy can do it, why can't I? Uh, my, one of my favorite guys was uh, actually Seager, Corey Seager, because uh, he kind of got the same profile, just taller shortstop, and then everybody's like, well, he can't play it, and you see what he's doing. He just got one of the biggest shortstop contracts ever, and he's played it exceptionally well. So uh, I felt like I can do it and uh, hopefully be in the same position he is. A little bit about being in this organization. You know, obviously at the big league level, they're still sort of retooling and rebuilding, but those guys are starting to get there. Adley gets called up, and you're, you, you're just like a rung behind. When you see those guys getting called up, especially because all the Orioles affiliates are, are close by, do you, do you start feeling that itch, knowing like clearly if I keep doing what I'm doing, like my opportunity is going to come at some point? Yeah, I mean, I just got to take it day by day because uh, ultimately it's not up in my control because uh, – that's up to the higher-ups, but I can just go out there each and every day and take one step at a time. And uh, one of my good friends who's in AAA told me to be, uh, be where my feet are. So I do that each and every day and just uh, think about that and take that to heart. We're getting life advice from a 20-year-old, which is, uh, just, I mean, and I know that comes up a lot with you. Like a 20-year-old, I mean, because I write about you a lot, and it's like, you know, 20-year-old Gunnar Henderson. Like, does that ever bother you? Or, you know, like, are you aware that, you know, how young you are for the level, or are you just like, I'm a double-A player, and the age is just a thing. Yeah, that's the way I treat it. Age is just a thing because I feel like um, it doesn't really matter to me. I just go out there and learn. And at the end of the day, I am 20, and I can just come out here and get as much experience as I can to help prepare me for the big leagues. So I just go out there, have fun each and every day, and um, just really take everything I can in. Great. Well, that's uh, Gunnar Henderson. Good luck today, and uh, good luck to wrestling. Maybe the Futures game in July? We hope so, but like I said, never know. All right. Thanks for joining us. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thanks very much to Gunnar Henderson for taking the time out to talk to Jonathan. And guys, he has certainly been very impressive this year. And shortly after you talked to him, Jonathan, he got the bump up to AAA where he becomes the only 20-year-old in AAA so far this year. An impressive step up for him. Yeah, and he's been really good. I, I was told afterwards that the last box the Orioles player development staff wanted him to check off was talking to me. So uh, I was glad I was able to make it to Altoona and and and, and talk to him. Uh, he had a, had a base hit and a run batted in the game and then was told right after that he was headed to join Norfolk in Nashville, I, I believe is where they are. And he just has been, you know, as young as, and he's been young, throughout you know i mean he was at the alt site and i think was one of the youngest alt site players anywhere who kind of held his own and uh you know this is a guy the orioles have been i don't want to say pounding the table but kind of saying like you, you, you're going to want to start tracking him and moving him up and obviously we have and he, he left the eastern league with the second best ops top four in all three slash lines you know and led the league on base percentage and that i think is been that's been the most important Last year, which was really his first official year, he ended up playing across three levels, but you know he, he didn't produce as much in high A, and then he was only in double A briefly, and then for the playoffs. But uh, the one concern was you know, he was striking out almost 31% of the time while drawing some walks. 
he worked tirelessly on his approach at the plate and his strikeout rate was only a touch above 18 point. Uh, it was 18.3%. And his walk rate was close to 20%. And lo and behold, the numbers are better. He's getting to his raw power more, especially as he's filling out that very athletic six, uh, two frame. You know, he would, told me, as he said, like he knew the power was going to come and he hasn't tried to sell out for it. He's really been working to be a good overall hitter while playing, you know, both positions on the left side of the infield. So there are multiple options and avenues to, to get him to the big leagues. Yeah, I, I liked him going back to the draft. I went back, I was wondering where exactly we ranked him on our, our draft list back in 2019 and we had him 27th. So we had him as a, a first round talent. And I mean, he was just a, a very projectable athlete with a lot of hitting aptitude and projectable power. Um, and he's basically lived up to the scouting report and made good on it. And, 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 and you, you said it perfectly, Jonathan. I mean, I think the biggest or maybe the most impressive thing about him this year has been at how much better he's been at, at managing the strike zone and, and the rest of his games coming together. And, and he's still so young and, I think the 2019 Orioles draft will always be remembered for Adley Rutschman, but, but Gunnar Henderson's going to, I think, make that an even more memorable draft too. Yeah. Look at those walk and strikeout numbers. He's, he's played to this point, 47 games this year, uh, 105 games last year. So he's about halfway there and he has 38 strikeouts compared to 143 last year and 41 walks compared to 56 last year. So yeah, just to, to sort of quantify that improvement that you've both mentioned, very impressive. All right. So let's talk a little bit about Jonathan, the game uh, where you saw Gunner recently, the pipeline game of the month. First, we've talked about these. This is the third one that we've done. The first one that you've done, Sam Dykstra did the first two, but First, tell uh, the listeners a little bit about what this is and then uh, maybe talk a little bit about this particular game. Yeah, I sort of came up with this idea before the year started to try to shine a, a spotlight on certain games, centering it you know, largely on elite level, high level, well-known prospects, but also you know, wanting to show you know, the sort of slice of minor league life. So the, the kind of basic content package has been to go and do a ballpark tour. Uh, I, I did a tour of uh, Altoona's Park with their general manager, Nate Bowen, and we did that live on the MILB Instagram account. Uh, and then we also do a live live Q&A interview with a prospect. In this case, I did with two prospects. Uh, I talked to Leover Paguero and Nick Gonzalez, you know, potentially the future double play combination for the Pittsburgh Pirates. You know, So th- those are sort of the highlights. And then I was able to get Gunnar Henderson, you know, fortunate enough to have, uh, you know, to have Bowie in town to get another top 100 prospect. Um, and then I sat in on the broadcast for, for a couple of innings um, with John Moses, the play-by-play guy for, for Altoona. Uh, and we talked a lot about the pirate system and, and that game of course was an MILB.TV game that was offered for free on MLB.TV. And uh, yeah, I was glad to finally, you know, be able to, to, to go and, and do this, the you know, Altoona, even with some, some of the, you know, the injuries, uh, Nick Gonzalez uh, is out of the lineup. Henry Davis uh, is, is on the injury list. Quinn Priester is also not back yet. So uh, there were three top 100 guys not in action. It still was, you know, it, it still w- was prospect laden. There were a number uh, of prospects. I think there were still eight active, you know, 
uh, from the Pirates' top 30 in this game. I saw Car- uh, Carmen Majinski pitch, and he was very impressive. He came in. Uh, they, they use an opener sometimes in L2. So Tanash Thomas came in and actually pitched well for the first two. And then Majinski came in, and he gave up a run. Uh, but at one point, I think he retired 11 in a row. He struck out five, didn't walk anybody. He was 95, 96, and nothing he throws is is straight. His slider tunnels off of his fastball really well. I'm not exactly sure, you know, what he is in the long haul. Maybe he ends up in, you know, in the bullpen. And command is a bit of an issue, although he didn't have any issues with it on Sunday. But that was, a, you know, a fun look at a guy who I'd known from, from the draft, and the Pirates had gotten him in the comp round in 2020. So this was the first time I'd really been able to lay eyes on him, and the stuff was very impressive. All right. So in addition to our Pipeline Game of the Month games, we've been looking ahead at our MILB on MLB.TV games as kind of a recurring segment here on the podcast. And we want to do that again for this week's slate of games. As we are recording this on Tuesday, our Tuesday game got rained out. Uh, We were hoping to see uh, Worcester at Buffalo with some top 100 prospects there and Gabriel Marino and Jordan Groshans. Uh, we were hoping that maybe Tristan Cassis would make his return for Worcester. Still kind of remains to be seen uh, when he'll be back, but he is approaching a return. The rest of the slate for this week, uh, Wednesday's game is a triple-A tilt between Sugarland and Oklahoma City, where uh, that Sugarland team has the Astros' top four prospects on the roster, uh, although one of those, Forrest Whitley, uh, not active, Brown, Lee, Leon and six out of the Astros' top seven prospects. So that's a that's a nice uh, roster for uh, Astros fans. And they'll be at Oklahoma City, which has been a fun team to watch this year. Bush, Vargas, Pepio, top 100 prospects. Don't think we're going to get to see uh, Pepio throw in that one, but still a nice matchup. Thursday, Iowa at Toledo, focusing there on Riley Green, who's returned recently. Saturday, New Hampshire at Binghamton. We've got Elvis Martinez, against, of course, the Mets' big three, who we saw over the weekend uh, in a matchup against uh, the Yankees' AA affiliate. And then on Sunday, we have Spokane at Eugene, where we've got a handful of top 100 prospects, Zach Fiend, Drew Romo, and uh, on the Emerald side, Marco Luciano. Guys, I've been having you pick one of these games that you're most interested to see. If you were only able to watch one of these games, which would it be? Jim, you complained about Jonathan getting first pick several times in a row last week. I'll give you first pick in this one. This is a very important draft. Um, I'm exactly conferring with my scouts, doing a little bit uh, late last second analysis on synergy. I am with the first pick in this week's MILB on MLB TV draft, going to select Sugarland at Oklahoma City. I think everybody had that in their mocks because I cover both the Astros and Dodgers farm systems. And you just have so many top prospects there. I, you know, Again, you never know what the pitching matchup is going to be, but you could at least see Corey Lee and Peter Leone. Uh, for, for the Astros, you could see Michael Bush and Miguel Vargas for the Dodgers. So that, that is my first pick, Sugarland at Oklahoma City. 1-1. One, one. All right. Jonathan. I, 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 my, can I tell you what my mock has Jonathan taking? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's do it. I, I think he's going Spokane at Eugene. Is my guess. You are correct. Although I could have completely lied. You're honest. We we we, we give you eighty honesty. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I, I I looked for a second at that Iowa Toledo game. You know, Riley Green's exciting, and then kind of the little potential uh, 
fall league star uh, with Nelson Velasquez. And if Caleb Killian takes the mound for Iowa, so that'd be fun. But I think any chance to see Marco Luciano is, you know, is, is one worth taking. And they, they haven't hit as you would hope, but there's some other good talent, uh, you know, in that, in that Eugene lineup. And then I do the Rockies list and, and getting a chance to see Zach Veen and even Jeromo, I think would be, uh, could be a lot of fun. Yeah, Jim, the, uh, that Eugene team, one of your organizations and the Giants, what's going on there? They, they have a ton of top 30 prospects from their organization. I think, did we, did we rank this team the most stacked lineup or, or was it number two maybe? In our- no, Jonathan, I think had Altuna, Altuna over. That's right. That's right. But, but I think I advocated for this Eugene team. Yeah, a lot of these guys have really struggled. Um, Luciano's been better than he was last year. Matos is now rehabbing. He just uh, returned after a very rough start. But yeah, Bailey's OPS 670, Bishop 651, Trebio 675. Kind of across the board, these guys have really struggled there. Well, I, I do think some of those guys are young. I mean, they, they do have the best record in the Northwest League too, but um, but you're right. I mean, the one that surprised me is Matos because when you know, we always get asked, okay, who's going to make the leap this year and, and really fly at the top 100 list? And I, and I thought it was Matos and he got off to a to a horrible start, but you're right. I mean, offensively outside of, uh, of really Luciana, well, you know, I take that back. Casey Schmidt's had a nice year there. You know, the, the Giants have been high on Casey Schmidt, who's the third baseman on our all defense team. And Casey, Casey Schmidt's had a nice year, but most of their top prospects have struggled. And then, you know, pitching wise, Kyle Harrison dominated there before departing. The, the pitching staff's been pretty good. I, I want to say that pitching staff, when they were in low A last year, that team won the championship in the Cal League, um, led the minors in strikeouts. And the pitching staff does have 494 strikeouts and 376 innings. Uh, you know, Randy Rodriguez, who they have high hopes for, has, has looked pretty interesting as a starter. He's striking out a bunch of guys. Nick Swinney, who was a high pick a couple of years ago, is having a pretty good year you know, in terms of missing bats. But yeah, it's... Um, it's their their biggest names, you know, as you noted, have not come out and had big years. And the guy who I would be the most concerned about is Hunter Bishop, who, you know, was number 10 overall pick in the draft going back to 2019, you know, one of the best athletes in that draft, but came with some swing and miss concerns. And he's just been hurt a ton. So he's barely played and he's finally healthy this year and he is striking out a ton. But yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how some of those guys bounce back. And on the other side of that game, uh, the Rockies, two top 100 prospects, Zach Veen and Drew Romo in that game. Veen, to this point, uh, slashing 265, 381, 420, five home runs, 18 stolen bases after swiping 36 in 106 games last year. And uh, Drew Romo having a nice season thus far, 315, 364, 488 for an 852 OPS. But... If you continue on down their top 30 list, uh, another notable name there, Ezekiel Tovar, is the subject of our mailbag question. Uh, the question comes from Crow at Krowitzki on Twitter, asks, what makes Ezekiel Tovar so good and why is he worthy of his future top 10 ranking? Thanks. I'll hang up and listen. <laughs> I, love, I love the bold prediction. That is a bold prediction. That is a bold prediction. Could it happen? I think, you know, he's not even on our top 100 yet, although his name has come up as we were you know, looking for replacements and things like that. So I, I think 
he will get moved up and onto the top 100, which means he'll have to flip over some guys on, on the Rockies list because he's at number six uh, right now. Listen, this is a guy who we saw in the Fall League. He was one of the, the youngest guys in, in the Fall League. And while the numbers weren't great offensively, he certainly showed glimpses. I think I saw two of his homers, or at least one of them. But he could flat out defend. He could probably play defense in the big leagues right now. So, you know, this is a guy with a plus arm, ridiculous amount of range, just the internal clock works well. Like, so he's going to play in the big leagues just because of his glove. He's starting to add some strength. He's always, you know, been pretty good at making contact, maybe to to a fault, you know, so you can get overly aggressive. But he's starting, you know, the, the added strength is allowing him to drive the ball a little bit. Still need, you know, to watch chasing pitches out of the zone, but so far, so good as, you know, one of the younger regulars in double A. He has done very, very well and started to show more and more extra base pop. Yeah, it's funny because whenever I think of him, Jonathan, I remember you did our third tour of duty after Sam and I had been to the Arizona Fall League. You finished it up, so you were doing the end of season uh, top prospects list. And you asked me about guys who stood out. And I and one of the first guys I mentioned to you was Tovar. I, I don't think you saw two of his home runs because I think I saw two of his home runs. I only saw him play three times, but I saw him – there was a game where I saw him hit a home run, steal a base, and make a ridiculous throw from the hole. There was another game where I saw another of his home runs. And so I brought him up as one of the top guys. And you're like, I was like, to me, he's like, he was easily one of the f- five or so best players I saw in the league. And you're like, you know, he wanted to hit 161 out here, right? And I was like, oh, like, I, 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 I swear, if he, I, I'm looking here, he had 14 hits. I bet in the three games I saw, I saw half his hits because he looked. He looked electric. I, were you a little surprised they jumped him from high A to double A this year? Because you know they promoted him last year. He was very good at single A at 19. Numbers were, I mean, I guess you could say held his own. Didn't really control the strike zone in high A, and they struggled in the fall league. So I was a little surprised they aggressively pushed him to double A. But he he has looked great. Yeah, I, I was surprised. Um, although you know, I guess what they wanted him to work on in the fall league. He did. And the fact that, yeah, he hit 160 and OPS of 506, but he showed those glimpses. And I, I'm guessing the spring, he just, you know, uh, showed up ready to, to go and was ready for, for the challenge. And, you know, Hartford is not a great hitters ballpark. I, I haven't looked at the home road splits, but, you know, he's slugging 581 with, uh, you know, 24 extra base hits in 47 games. Uh, that's impressive for a guy that young in the Eastern League. Yeah, 11 home runs, 16 stolen bases, one of about 10 players in the minor leagues to have double digits and home runs and stolen bases. Did you uh, guys notice, I, I, my question related to the mailbag is, I believe that at Krowitzki is eating the largest ice cream cone in his profile picture of anyone who's ever asked us a question on the Pipeline podcast. I did not notice Definitely top three. That is a that is a sizable. Does that look like a coffee chip ice cream? I it, I couldn't quite figure out if that was chocolate chocolate chip or like a coffee chocolate chip ice cream cone, but it, it looks good. He does earn some bonus points for that, and he gets his question answered on the MLB Pipeline podcast. Hey uh, guys, this just in as we're recording, Henry Davis is back. Excellent, playing in a, a rehab game right now. Very nice. All right, folks, that is going to do it for this week's MLB Pipeline podcast. Thanks very much for tuning in. Thanks to 
Krawitzki for his question. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or having any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.